Good morning. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, <clears throat> we used to all meet together at Rosemont Bible Church in the sanctuary. And occasionally, Dave Burton would speak to us. And he would scan the audience and pick some hapless soul and say something funny. I have a story to tell you. Just because we here at uh, Rosemont Bible Church strongly believe in the biblical principles of you shall reap what you sow and you shall do unto others what you wish them to do unto you. In the days of 25-person communion, Katie Burton generously and kindly was playing the piano. She had refreshed her skills and she, had, she was playing every selection from the hymnal and now was ready to play selections from RBC Praise. Here, I committed a faux pas. I publicly announced before opening up the communion service that Dave Burton would, if she should run into trouble, he'd rise up and lead us in song singing a cappella. So here I have to apologize. Katie, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that as a threat to you. I didn't mean to frighten you. There, I feel much better now. It's good to clear the decks in relationships. This morning, we'll be looking at a passage in scripture in which Jesus, the great servant, defines his relationships. And by the end of it, we'll see which relationship is the most important. This takes place in Galilee, in the early part of Jesus' ministry, around 30 AD. So let's turn to it. Mark uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 35. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 35. As I look up passages, it will give you some time to look up the passages in your Bible. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Jesus goes up to the mountain, calls who he wants. And they responded positively. How wonderful. They, they came to him. We know that before he did this, Jesus was praying all night long. We know that from Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Because here we see Jesus exercising his godly sovereignty, choosing whom he wants, we're going to take a closer look at that. Uh, just because today we, we don't see or understand godly sovereignty as they did at this time so let's turn to romans chapter 9 verses 14 to 16 romans 9 verses 14 to 16 and the apostle paul is discussing exactly that god's sovereign choices what shall we say then is there injustice on god's part by no means for he says to moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion. Is there injustice? No, God's choices are always right. He's always just. And his choices, his sovereign choice, does not depend on human will. It doesn't depend on how much we want or we desire. And doesn't depend on human exertion, on how much 
we work or how much effort we put in. God makes the right choices every time. He does justice. He does good. Let's continue. And he appointed 12, who he also named apostles. Apostle here means one who is sent for or one who is dispatched so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Wow, it's amazing. They'll be spending time intimately with Jesus, becoming friends with him and becoming friends with each other as well. And this is not by accident. Jesus is training them. He's uh, teaching them. He, they'll be learning to preach. They'll be learning to, they'll have authority to cast out demons. They'll have authority to heal people, as we know from other passages. So one day when Jesus is crucified and resurrected and ascended to heaven, they will continue the service and the ministry on earth. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, most likely due to their very boisterous nature. Andrew, who is the brother of Simon Peter, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Bar meaning son of, in Hebrew, Tholomew, son of Tholomew, also known as Nathaniel. And Matthew, also known as Levi, and Thomas, and James, the son of, son of Alphaeus, who's also known as James the Less. And Thaddeus, which is a nickname, as, as is Labaeus, both meaning gift from God, and both referring to Judas, the son of James. And Simon the Zealot and Judas is Cariot, who betrayed him. And that epithet involves Judas evermore. Judas is Cariot, who betrayed him. We have quite the motley crew here. And as uh, James Foucault pointed out well in his sermon, where he was describing the call of disciples, there is no inherent talent that we could see, no characteristics that, that were outstanding that would say, well, these guys are going to be successful. And that is by design, because when they do succeed, we'll know it was not by their power, but by the power of God. As Gamaliel said in the book of Acts, he said, if God is not with them, their enterprise will fail. But if God is with them, no one will be able to stop them. In my life, uh, responding positively to the call of service has been a great blessing, a great experience. I've served uh, 10 years as, as an usher, and I met most of you through ushering. I got to know uh, Nick and Nicole Gaetan very well. I got to know Kathy and Barry Harris better. And I'll tell you a secret, Kathy's nickname amongst the ushers was Master Sergeant. But I won't tell you who gave her that nickname because I don't want to cause a divorce. I've also served a bit in the, the seniors ministry and uh, gotten some great conversations with Nick Aswolo. Got to know the hurdles better. Imagine Ed Hurdle turning 80 yesterday and Rob said he sounds like 60, but uh, I'll tell you, Ed has the energy of a 20 year old or 
even has more energy than some 20 year olds. I've also served with the elders and the leadership practicum group. And those guys are uh, true brothers. They're, they really love the Lord. I feel like I could call any one of them anytime. And sometimes some of them even call me back. Crisscrossing through various ministries, uh, I've developed a great friendship with Elnor and Jim Whitelaw. And Elnor and Jim has served me more than I'll ever be able to serve them. Thank you. As you can see from my example, serving is a great blessing. It's enriching. We become closer to, to Jesus. Our relationship with him grows. We become closer to each other. Our friendships grow. We learn a great deal. And as a result of it all, we grow spiritually. So if you have a call to service, please respond positively. And that is our section on friends. Now we'll uh, go to our section on family part one, and that will be followed by foes. And after foes, we'll look at family part two. So our section on family part one. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. He, Jesus, went home. We know home is now in Capernaum because of uh, Mark chapter two, verse one. And the crowds are pressing in again, like we saw them before, pressing in, uh, disrupting them so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to season, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. We don't know which family members were involved. Uh, we know that uh, they certainly were concerned about Jesus. They want season to pull him out of this. And we wonder, how can this be? Jesus is doing good. He's healing people. He's preaching amazing things. He's casting out demons. How can they say he's out of his mind? Perhaps the family sees all this chaos and destruction. The crowd's pressing in. They can't even eat. In, in chapter 2, we saw it. They cut a hole through the roof of a home and lowered a guy on a mat so, so he could be healed of his paralysis. Of course, they're wrong. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's serving and ministering to the people. I wonder if Jesus was hurt by this. Families can be a source of joy and happiness, and they can also be a source of pain and hurt. As a young man, when I was attending Rosemont Bible Church, which at the time was Ebenezer Gospel Chapel, good decision to change the name didn't help. My family was very hostile to my attending church, and that was hurtful to me. Decades later, they're happy if I'm happy. There's still a lingering feeling among uh, some family members that, yes, Dan's a good guy, he's smart, he's successful, but the way he believes in Jesus Christ and the way he wants to attend church, in that area, he's a bit out of his mind. What are we to do? We have to remember that with family, we are to be loving and patient. We are to keep doing good. We are to remember that time and God 
might change things. And we are to remember what Jesus said in even more dire circumstances. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now our section on foes, where it gets even more dramatic. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. The scribes or Pharisees had heard of all the chaos and disruption and, and the miracles, and they have come down to see what it was about. To Galilee, from Jerusalem down to Galilee. And they throw this at Jesus, that he is casting out demons by demons. The word Beelzebub is derived from the word, word Baal, in the Old Testament, we see that frequently, and the Israelites committed idolatry, worshiping Baal. Beelzebul, in full, as, as we see it here, means Lord of the Flies. And that's a derogatory term. Flies as in flies that gather around the dung. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Jesus responds to them. And he tells them, he points out a flaw in their logic. He tells them, how can this be? If I cast out demons by Satan's power, then I'm diminishing Satan's house or kingdom or domain by freeing people from the grip of his demons. And that kind of division will lead to destruction. And there's a principle here for the church too. United we stand, divided we fall. Paul, in the, the beginning of 1 Corinthians, as well as in Ephesians and even other places, pleads for unity. He pleads for the believers to be united. So we are to not to be divided by the small things we disagree upon, but we are to be bound together by the big things that we do agree upon. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Here Jesus in the a one-verse parable describes how he is casting out demons. Jesus has bound the strong man. The strong man is Satan. Jesus has bound Satan. He has overcome him. And indeed, when Jesus is crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, he will have totally vanquished Satan. And he will have been victorious over sin and death as well. And Satan will find himself in a very long rear guard action. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, in whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Blasphemy here means to speak evil of God. 
And the word saying, as in saying he has an unclean spirit, that word in the Greek means they persisted in saying. They kept on saying. How does that work? How, how is calling Jesus, saying he has an unclean spirit, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Well, remember back in Mark 1, when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And so Jesus' spirit is the Holy Spirit. And insulting Jesus' spirit is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, calling the Holy Spirit evil or unclean or a demon. There's an amazing verse about this, this same event, but accounted by Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verse 27. Matthew 12, verse 27. And if I cast out demons, by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. By whom do your sons cast them out? By whom does your people cast out demons? Here he's referring to the Pharisees and the scribes. Are they even casting out demons? They have judged Jesus. They have turned their back on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit, irrevocably and totally. And now Jesus judges them. And he condemns them. He says, therefore, they will be your judges. The they refers to the demons. Therefore, the demons will be your judges. They are in a place, a position, where no one, not one of us ever wants to be found in. In my life, I've never heard anyone blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. As believers, we are to respect the Holy Spirit, to listen to the proddings of the Holy Spirit, and to, to be sensitive with our conscience to the Holy Spirit. How do we deal with foes? Well, I've dealt with the garden variety type of foes. I've dealt with betrayal and dishonesty. I've dealt with uh, people who are egotistical, selfish, and uh, overly competitive, or just simply wicked. And we have to forgive them. There are verses that help us with this in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. And these are just wonderful and very helpful verses. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Isn't that amazing advice? Words of wisdom for all of us to live by. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We are to do our maximum, our most, to live peaceably with others. But the verse also recognizes it's not always possible that there's the fault. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We need to leave room for God to work. We are not to avenge, we are to forgive. But God always does justice. He is by nature just, and sooner or later justice is done. I've seen it in my life, 
I've seen it in the lives of others in the church and outside the church. This is not a high probability rule. This is 100%. Justice is done. And now, our section on family, part two. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. Who is Jesus' family? Well, we learn more about it in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And that's a passage, the context of which is Jesus being rejected at Nazareth. And information comes up in the form of a question. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So here we see Jesus has four brothers, James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, two of which are said to have written the books of the New Testament that we see later on. And Jesus had sisters. No mention is made here of Joseph, his stepfather. We don't know why. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus, the great teacher here, sees an opportunity to teach and does so by asking a question. He makes them think. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So by elevating those who do the will of God to brother and sister, Jesus is not negating his family. We know at the end of the book of John that from the cross, Jesus assigned his mother Mary to the care of the apostle John. What does it mean to do the will of God? It means to believe in Jesus, to believe in his word, to believe that he's the son of God, to believe that he died on the cross for our sins, to, to accept him as savior from our sin, accepting his forgiveness for our sins, and to follow him. And it's so important to know what our relationship as brother and sister means that there's another passage in Romans, Romans yet again, and it's an amazing passage. Chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Here we see the believers, our relationship with the three persons of the Trinity of God. We hear the intimate cry to, to the Father, Abba, Father. We sense the Holy Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit 
speaking to our spirit. And we see that we are heirs with Christ, fellow heirs, co-heirs with Christ, meaning also that we have an inheritance. What is that inheritance? It's the blessings that we have in Christ in this life and also for all eternity. And we know also from the end of the book of chapter eight here in Romans, that being heirs is far more than being conquerors. Conquerors, they move in, they vanquish, and they take, they grab. But heirs receiving an inheritance, they receive that inheritance freely. It's a free gift, a gift by the grace of God. And also, as is mentioned at the end of this chapter in Romans, at the end of chapter eight, that there's nothing that can come, nothing in existence that can come in between us and that love of God and that inheritance from God. So there we have it. We have friends, a call to service. We have foes, a call to unity, a call to be very careful with evil spirits, a call to respect the Holy Spirit, and a call to leave room for God to work his justice. And we have family. We are to love and care for our families, and we are to put Jesus Christ first in our relationship. And then we see that all our relationships fall into place. It doesn't mean they all of a sudden become all harmonious, but somehow it just works out so very well when we put Jesus Christ first as our top priority in our relationships. If today you're listening to me and you do not have a spiritual relationship with Jesus, please consider it thoroughly. If you're, Jesus loves you and he has brought you to this point through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has brought you to this point through people and circumstances and through speaking to your spirit. Jesus God loves you and wants to initiate and have a loving relationship with you. If you have any comments or questions, please call or text me at 514-214-5647. Positive feedback is very welcome and encouraging. Negative feedback is even better. I learn even more from it. God bless you and praised be the Lord.